If you were in Sunday school, you know we were in Galatians. And if you weren't, we were in Galatians. Good morning, Blackman Baptist Church. <laughs> um, there was a movie, I'm sure many of you have seen it, and we don't do movie endorsements from the pulpit. But, and this is not one I could heartily endorse, but I feel kind of like Paul in Acts 17 when he, he talks about, some of your own poets have said he's talking to the people of Mars Hill, of Athens of Mars Hill. I feel kind of like that. Like, some of your novelists and, and screenwriters have said, right? This particular one is by the great theologian Stephen King. He, he, wrote, a, a scre- he wrote a novella called Shawshank Redemption. It got turned into a movie. Very, it's a very interesting story, actually. If you dig into it, I don't think he's a believer, but he knows some things about storytelling. Um, it's called a redemption on purpose. There's, there's three people in this story. Three, well, there's, a lot, there's more than three, but three primary ones I want to focus on for the, for the point I'm trying to make here. The main character's name is Andy. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit, but that's not terribly important. He's in prison. That's the main thing. His friend named Red has been in for a long time. And then there's this guy named Brooks that's the librarian for the prison. He's been in forever and, and, and can see no other thing. The interesting thing about this is Andy wants nothing more than to be free and to be out. And he talks to Red about it, and he kind of captures Red's imagination, but Red's just not sure. Red's not sure that he could actually handle life on the outside, but he's sure intrigued. He's sure interested in the possibility of maybe one day being free. Brooks, no interest, does not want to be free. He's completely comfortable within the confines and what he knows inside prison. And, and these three people, I think, illustrate what Paul is talking about with the Galatians. Because the problem that they have is they're in prison and some of them like it, right? And Paul's calling them, no, there is more. You don't want to be in prison. You do not want to be in prison. There's more. As we get ready to dig into this, I kind of just think of these three characters in this movie because they so illustrate what's going on. So we're going to be looking into Paul's letter. It's Galatians. As my, as my Anna likes to put it, Paul gets spicy. In these six short chapters of this remarkable letter, Paul's laying out the case, the case for Christian freedom, He's laying out the case for his own legitimacy as an apostle for the gospel. He's laying out the authenticity of his own gospel message. And then he rebukes the Galatians for failing, for failing to keep the faith and for, for falling for the, teacher, the teachings of some false teachers that have come into their midst and reverting to not only a lesser gospel, but a non-gospel. So I'm going to be... Kind of in generally, you know, the, the Sunday school lesson was chapter three. I'm going to bounce around a little bit more than that. Uh, and my outline is, in, in uh, good sermon terms, faith, freedom, and fruit. That's where I'm going today. Faith, freedom, and fruit. It alliterates its three points. What more could you ask? I'll just, I'll read uh, this introductory passage. Um, this is, these are the first few verses of the book. 
um, just to kind of set the tone for where Paul's headed here. It's so, it's so interesting. If you, if you read and study Paul's um, letters, they all sound the same at the beginning. And, and we'll hear that in the first four verses of this sound almost just like Philippians, very similar to Ephesians and the other letters where he's just introducing himself in a very gracious way. But then he wastes no time jumping into the rebuke. And it's, it's remarkable. Hear the word of the Lord from Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of, God our, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we, we thank you for your word you, that you've sent, you've given to us, you've preserved it over time. Father, it is a faithful message from you to us. Let it fill our hearts. Let it change our hearts. Let it move us toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is opening up here with an absolute salvo, right? He's saying, he's saying that this is a critical point. This is not a theological difference that we can have fun debating. He's saying, if anyone says something different, let him be accursed. These are strong words, very strong. The Greek is anathema. It could be interpreted as damned. It's, it's a very strong thing to say. But the letter to the Galatians was, pushed, was written to push back against the teachings of certain people in the early church. They had come. These people were sometimes called Judaizers because they were... Judaizer just means, I want to convert you into a Jew. Or sometimes called the circumcision party because their idea of turning you into a Jew was really focused on this one thing, circumcision. Paul's intent then was to clarify and affirm the gospel that he'd already preached. Remember, he had been in Galatia before. He founded the church there. And he talks in this letter, I'm not going to get into it, but he talks in this letter about how gracious these people had been to him. Because when he had first come, it, it sounds like it wasn't even by intent, that he was so ill he had no, no choice but to stop. And they had nursed him back to health and been very gracious. So he remembers and reminds them how, how gracious they had been to him. And now these people have come, and they're teaching these things to, to the Galatians. And Paul's saying, guys, what's going on? So who are the Judaizers? What were they teaching? Jews who believed. And, and uh, we, we talked in Sunday school, I'm sure, in the other Sunday school class you did too. And Ralph asked, so what, what is the logical reason why these people might have wanted to teach what they were teaching? And, and the, they did have some logic behind them. They weren't, it wasn't good, it wasn't true, but they did have some logic. They were Jews that believed since the Messiah had come from the Jews, since God had set apart the Jews as, as the nation of priests who would bring the Messiah, and all that's true, and because of that, 
that meant that the only way to salvation through the, Jew, to, through the Jew, Jewish Messiah, Jesus, was to become a Jew, then you could get access to the Jewish Messiah. That was their logic, right? That's their logic. So you've got to convert first to Judaism, then you can be a Christian. God had given this command for circumcision, and, and Moses had given many, many, many other commands. And so their logic was, well, you've you got to get right here, and then you can come and access this, this grace of Jesus. Uh, and this is the controversy that we looked at a few weeks ago. When we looked at the, the uh, council, the first church council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, we talked about this. And Peter and James were involved. Bar- Barnabas and Paul came. Um, and, and Peter came and testified to what was happening um, in, in, uh, in the Gentiles that, that he had converted. Then, then uh, Barnabas and Paul testified as to what they had seen. And so now they had this, this conclusion. They had the meeting, and they concluded what? We're not going to require the Gentiles to become Jews. They don't have to follow the whole Jewish law. Why did they conclude this? Was this just church politics? They voted. It was five to four, and, and there you go. No. They, they, were, they were simply looking at what God had done, the evidence of what God had done, and acknowledging God's voted on this topic. We're just acknowledging what God has said. And what did God say? Well, God saved the whole household of Cornelius before he gave them the Holy Spirit. They weren't circumcised. They weren't baptized. They weren't anythingized other than blessed and filled with the Holy Spirit by God himself, right? And so they were acknowledging while God is pouring out his spirit on these Gentiles, who are we to deny that? Of course we can't deny it. So they were following logic. And they were just accepting what God was already doing. No kosher foods, no Sabbath keeping, if God did not require it, neither could they. Now, many scholars believe, and Paul talks about a meeting in Jerusalem in Galatians, and many scholars believe that it's actually the same meeting, that the meeting that's talked about in Galatians 2 is the same meeting that's talked about in Acts 15. Um, but while at the council in Acts it's described as basically just acknowledging what God is doing, kind of in an empirical sense, Paul's going to use this letter to provide a theological underpinning of this is why these things are true. This is the logic of why God's cho- choosing to work this way and how, how we can determine it's, it's fine for the Gentiles to carry on. So faith, freedom, and fruit, that's what we're going to talk about here. We look at faith, and Paul's, Paul, Paul makes this point super clear. If you depend on your obedience to part of the law, then you have to keep all of it. That's his main logic here, right? If you want to claim your obedience to the law for your righteousness, you've got to keep it all. And so adding circumcision to the faith is, is what's happening here. They're, what they're implying means adding all of the law, which no one has kept. Even the people that were demanding circumcision have not kept the whole law. This is what Paul meant when he said, in, uh, in chapter 5, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. It's very, very similar to what Peter said in Acts 15, because he said, 
Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So you can see Peter and Paul are completely on the same page here, right? If the Jews can't keep the law, why would we expect the Gentiles to be able to keep the law? It makes no sense. We didn't, get, we didn't get the righteousness of Christ through our works. Why would we expect them to? The Judaizers wanted to impose a very specific part of the law on the Gentiles. Part of the law that was an outward sign. So if you require some work, or some obedience to the law, to standards of behavior, if you add anything to the gospel of salvation through faith, you're adding the burden of perfectly keeping the whole law. And since we agree no one can do that, you're not adding to the gospel. You're not improving the gospel or enhancing the gospel. You're denying the gospel. Do you see the power of what Paul's saying here? That you can't make the gospel better. It's already perfect. You add standards to it. You add requirements to it. You're not making it just a little bit better. You are denying the power of the gospel. And so... That, that is why the energy, that, why, that's why Paul's bringing the energy that he's bringing is, if it was just a matter of, oh, you know, we're going to make the gospel just a little bit better. It's not that. It's, it's denial of the gospel. So the gospel, the good news, is that we're saved when we trust God's promise that Jesus' blood paid for our sin. That's faith. We can't improve on God's plan with our efforts. Any, any attempt to make the gospel better with some behaviors not improving. It's denying it. It's saying to God, actually, Jesus' blood is not enough. Can you imagine saying that? This is what Paul means in Galatians 2.21 when he says, if righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Right? That's a pretty big thing to say. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Tim Keller puts it this way. We can't hold on to grace if we're living by works. Uh, By the way, we studied studied Galatians, but Tim Keller book in community group, like, gosh, it's been a few years ago. Really, really good book. If you want to point her to it, ask me. I actually brought it with me so I could show it off, but I forgot to bring it up here. But it's, uh, it's super strong. And Galatians is powerful. It's worth way more than a sermon, I promise you. Um, so how do we apply this truth? And, and Ralph was asking that today. So this is interesting because we don't typically get in arguments about circumcision, do we? It's just not something that comes up. That's not really an important matter to us. We've put that to bed. But so how does this apply? Is this just academic, interesting? Eh, church history is good. no. If we had a Galatian or a Judaizer here in 2021, what would they be talking about? What kinds of things would we need to be guarding against so we don't abandon the gospel of faith? We talked about a few of this 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 morning, but in general, any requirement that you yourself or others would try to add to the gospel would qualify, whatever that is. Do you want to live by rules or do you want to live by the peace of the gospel? Trusting in Jesus' righteousness for your salvation. We're really good at making rules, aren't we? We are. If you're trusting mostly in Jesus, 
put a little bit on your own good works, guess what? That's denying the gospel. Let's don't do that. Even believers need to be reminded of the gospel all the time, constantly. Don't we, brother? We, we got we to gotta keep it in mind. We got to be humbled by it. We got to live within it. Paul's clear here. It's all Jesus and you nothing. You're not adding anything to the mix. And when you think about others and requirements you want, might want to impose on them. No, it's all Jesus and them nothing. They don't add to the righteousness. And they don't take away from the righteousness. Jesus brought the righteousness. We just, we just bring ourselves and he cleans us up. He takes us on. Let me encourage you in that. So we know that only faith, only faith can save us and not our works. And we pound that point home pretty, pretty regularly here. Um, so I don't think that's a foreign idea to, uh, to this body. But we need to be reminded of it. So faith, freedom, this is a really interesting one. Galatians has been called the charter of Christian liberty sometimes. In chapter, in chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming faith would be revealed. And then chapter 5, verse 1, he said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I think I read that uh, the word freedom is about shows up at least 10 times in the book of Galatians. And it's not that long of a book. Freedom is super powerful. It's super important in this book. But you know who else talks about freedom in Scripture? Jesus. Jesus talks about freedom. He said, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. And what was he talking about? What was the context of that? He was talking to the, to the Jews, the Pharisees, that they, were, that they were in fact slaves to sin, and they denied it. They denied they were slaves, but he said, no, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. Right? But if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Freedom from bondage is the theme of the gospel. Redemption is really about freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from what? Paul says we're freed from the bondage of the law. Jesus was talking about freedom from slavery to sin. And when Paul says, you foolish Galatians, in chapter 3, the opening of chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's saying, how could you? How could you throw away this precious key to freedom and return to bondage? Why would you willingly do that? It makes no sense. It's crazy. And that's like, that's like Brooks in the movie, the librarian. He finally gets set free from prison. And later they find his body. He ended his own life because he just couldn't, he couldn't deal with freedom. It's tragic. And that's like these Galatians. People were coming and saying, oh, don't you kind of miss, don't you kind of miss the law? And wouldn't you like to experience the, the security of knowing where the boundaries are and, and knowing exactly what boxes you got to check? And Paul's saying, no, don't take it. It's not better. Freedom is better. Always freedom is better. You foolish Galatians, don't be bewitched. So Paul is saying about freedom, don't lose it. You've been given freedom, don't lose it. But then a little further down, he says, freedom, don't abuse it. You see, we're called to freedom, brothers, but 
He says, you, you are called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as Paul also said in Romans, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to freedom from sin, not freedom to sin, freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. And Paul was making this point very clear because he knew that as he pronounced freedom, as he talked about the ultimate grace of Christ and the fact that our works added nothing to the recipe, he knew that his critics were coming behind him and saying, well, that Paul's preaching freedom all the time, but he never talks about doing right and following God's law. And Paul's saying, oh, no, no, no. There's actually a higher law. You can try with your check boxes, but no, the actual law is love. And that's Paul's point. Once you've been given freedom, what does he say? Through love, serve one another. That's, that's what Paul's saying right here in Galatians. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we have faith. We have freedom. Don't lose it and don't abuse it. And now we have fruit. So now Paul's established. We're not from the criticism of righteousness or our obedience to the law. He turns to another criticism from the criticism from the Judaizers. They're saying Christians are free, then they'd be free to sin. And Paul says, no. While many would like to divide and separate the teachings of Jesus, Peter, James, and Paul. Have you ever heard that? Have you heard people say, oh, well, Peter says this, even in Scripture. This is, this, is a, this is a John kind of thing to say, and this is a Paul kind of thing to say, and James kind of thing to say. You know, we have to figure out which is who's right, Peter or, or James, or James or Paul. Who's right? Who are we going to listen to? But they're all entirely consistent. Because who's the actual author? Who's the actual author? Who's the actual author? God's the actual author. These, these men were his servants. They wrote down the words on his behalf. God wrote the book. And guess what? God doesn't disagree with himself. And when we, when we look into this and we take it at heart, we take it to heart, we see that these things are consistent. So chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul affirms James. James tells us that faith without works is dead, right? We know that very famous passage. And what's Paul say here in chapter 5? He tells us that saving faith produces fruit, right? This fruit is the same thing as the works that James is speaking of. Fruit is visible, it's outward, it's evidence of a changed inner life. So the faith that saves is the faith that transforms a person and causes fruit to be produced. A mark on the body can't prove an inner change. It can't cause an inner change, and it can't prove that there is an inner change. It's just a mark on the body. But an inner change will show itself by the actions of the believer. That we, that we see is true. And Jesus said what? You can know a tree by its fruit. Right? Jesus said you can know a tree by its fruit. Paul describes the fruit of a Christian life in three lists of three words. I, I love this as I was studying this. Um, a guy named Jay Sidlow Baxter. I like to read his commentaries, and he had a really cool thing he he broke out. So I'm going to share this, but understand it's credit to him for for thinking this through because I thought it was really cool. There's nine words here 
right? We see the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. By the way, is Galatians rich or what? For six chapters, there is a lot of meat in there. We've got the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Let's look at these in sets of three. There's nine words. Love, joy, and peace. Then patience, kindness, goodness. And then faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it turns out those three sets have some interesting things going on. The first group is really focused on an inner condition. It's really focused on myself, where I am, the state of my heart. So love is the first word. Love, joy, and peace. Love in two senses. One, that I have known and recognized God's love for me. And then love for you. You have known and recognized God's love for you. And then love in the sense that you have begun to allow His love to flow out from you, to reflect back and flow out from you. Well, I have begun to do that. If you, have, if you have these loves in your life, if those are real in your heart, guess what follows? Joy and peace. Joy is, is the active celebration of this love. It's the enjoyment, the satisfaction, the pleasure of knowing the love of God, recognizing the, thing that he's, the things that He's constantly doing for us. Peace is kind of a, a passive form of this. Accepting, embracing that we're reconciled with the God of creation. Like Weston was saying in Sunday school this morning about, about trembling, trembling from the recognition of the goodness of what He's done. Right? But, the, but it's a peace that can come upon us. That you're no longer at war with God. Amazing. That He's no longer your enemy but has become your adopted father. What peace this brings when you understand that. And what peace you can offer others when you have allowed this to soak your heart, to penetrate your heart. Peace is, peace is a natural consequence of this love. He also, and then, and then we see uh, in summary, Baxter says, so joy is love exalting, peace is love reposing. So those of you that are like wordy people and like little succinct things, I love that. Joy is love exalting. Peace is love reposing. Really cool. Then we have this grouping. Patience, kindness, goodness. And this is interesting because this group is kind of focused on our treatment of others around us, right? Patience, kindness, and goodness. When we have patience, and patience kind of leads to the other ones. When we have patience, also translated sometimes as long-suffering, it means we're willing to suffer. We're willing to put up with the flaws, the failures of others. Out of gratitude and recognition for the great patience that God has given to us, we're willing to, to be patient, to suffer, suffer a while with other people's problems and flaws. And what is kindness? But, but an expression of this, kind of a passive expression or a gentle expression of this, offering words or gestures to soothe or comfort and blessing others with sensitively recognizing their needs. That's kindness, right? It comes from a patience. And goodness is a more active expression of the same thing. Seeking to really make a difference, actually make a difference, and change things for the better for someone. So kindness and goodness flow from patience. And then the third grouping, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or faith, gentleness, and self-control. The third group focuses on our attitude, Toward God. So the first group was really kind of about our, our state. 
The second, really how we treat others. In this third group, what's our attitude toward God and His righteousness? It is fundamentally trust, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Faith is fundamentally trusting God, really. Uh, the, way, the way it's phrased in Genesis is Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? So believe means he trusted because God was making a promise. Abraham's believing the promise. He's trusting. God wants to be trusted. So with that foundation, if you trust God, you can afford to be gentle, even when others are not. Moses said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? That was, that was straight from Moses. And why? Because a God of justice can be trusted to bring justice. You don't need to take vengeance. You can afford to be patient. You can afford to be long-suffering. You can afford to let God handle the justice. When someone harms you, you can be patient. You don't have to come back. You don't have to hit back. God will bring justice. You don't have to demand your rights at every turn. You can be gentle. Self-control is also like that. It's a matter of trust. Self-control says, I can afford to wait for what I want because I trust that he'll provide. I can afford to withhold my potentially hurtful words because I know that God's just. Self-control. I can wait. I can pause. I can control myself because God's going to take care of me. I don't have to demand to be cared for. And here's the amazing thing. These fruits, you can't force them into your life. You can't take them. You might be able to sometimes convince others. You might be able to fake it a little bit that they're there. But Paul immediately follows this list. After he talks about these fruits, he follows that with with this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the key. As he said in chapter 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when we put away our own selfishness, our own ambition, our own desires and drives, and, and yield everything we have, our will and everything, to God, he takes over. And the Spirit of Christ rules in us. And what flows from that Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It flows naturally because that's the character of the Spirit. And when we yield ourselves to the Spirit, it becomes our character. It comes naturally from us. I'll invite the musicians to come up as we, as we close. So we've looked at faith and freedom and fruit. Pray that we be on our guard against against trying to add things to the faith that we know is true. We we need to trust. We don't need to add requirements or criteria. We don't need to do that. We need to trust Him. He can be trusted. We don't need to judge either ourselves or others by those things that that are beyond and extra to the gospel because what Paul has taught us is that to add to the gospel is to deny the gospel. And we don't want to be doing that. We see that Jesus cares about freedom. He said it's for freedom that you are set free. Isn't that a remarkable thing? It's for freedom that you are set free. 
And freedom to what? Freedom to love and to serve others. On behalf of Christ, who we give ourselves to. And then we should expect fruit to come. Just as, a, just as we become a, a fruit-yielding plant or tree for God, these, these acts, these goodnesses will come out of us naturally. So let's pray for these things. Let's pray for, for God's influence to change our hearts. And let's pray to always be reminded of the this preciousness of the gospel. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you mostly for your son, Jesus, who came and paid the price. And that price is sufficient. We don't have to add to it. You paid it all. Father, I, I pray that as we, as we consider these things this morning, that we'll, we'll be called to respond to you in repentance, in trust, in love. Please be with us this week in Jesus' name.